0: It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Coplan. Featuring stimulating in-depth interviews with special guests from all areas of the arts. And now, here's your host for It's a Question of Balance, Ruth Coplan.
1: Welcome to the show where we balance the intellectual with the creative, exploring whether we have more in common than divides us through thought-provoking conversations. For the topic hour, I go out and about and talk to people on the street about a wide variety of different subjects that affect us all, both locally and globally. And for this, the arts hour, I interview local, national and international guests from all areas of the arts. And I combine a debate topic with an arts interview because I feel discussion and creativity are two of the most vital ways we engage with the world. This week as my special guest from the arts, I'm pleased to be interviewing Randall Munro, cartoonist, webcomic artist, former NASA roboticist and writer. Randall is the New York Times best-selling author of the books What If and Thing Explainer, which are mega blockbusters. What If spent 64 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list and Thing Explainer sold over a million copies worldwide. Randall is also the Hugo Award winning creator of the cultural phenomenon XKCD, an online comic. The comic defies genre covering romance, science, maths, pop culture and more. The comic has a gentle humour, kindness and poignancy to it, as well as delivering scientific information in a highly interesting form, which has led to a dedicated fan base with millions of fans visiting the XKCD website to read the latest comic strip and also Randall's blog, What If? Celebrity fans include Bill Gates, Serena Williams, Neil Gaiman and previous guest of this show, Andy Weir, author of The Martian. Randall's legion of fans have been eagerly awaiting a new book and it has now arrived in the form of How To, absurd scientific advice for common real world problems, an entirely original new work with never before seen material. If you're listening in the Santa Cruz area, Randall Munro is going to be here on September 11th for a special Bookshop Santa Cruz event. So if you enjoy my interview with Randall, you have a great opportunity to see him in person and get your book signed. He'll be in conversation with another guest of this show, the talented Corey Doctorow. So you can get more information at bookshopsantacruz.com. Right now, Randall is here with us. Welcome to the show, Randall.
2: Uh, Hi, Ruth. It's great to be here.
1: So you have a wonderful, creative way of combining science and art in your books and your comic. I'm wondering if you can remember the first time that art had a deep effect on you, whether it was a piece of writing, a book, music, a comic, or some other kind of art, where you felt the ability of art to affect us beyond just entertaining us.
2: Um I think i one of the things that really made a big impression on me when I was little was uh the the big book uh, the way things work I think by david McCauley, if mm. I got that right where there was it was a a huge tome of illustrations of how like everyday objects uh how they worked, but it was illustrated with um lots of little details of showing, you know, here's how a wine bottle opener or nail clippers work, but they showed little mammoths pulling on things and pushing them, and it Mm.
3: um,
2: made it seem very real to me. You know, it it wasn't just a schematic, it was a diagram showing a real thing that you could push or pull.
3: Mm. Ah,
1: interesting. And I know you also, I've read that you really liked um, the Calvin and Hobbes Comics too. When you were growing yeah. up, is that right?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I can I can't even remember the first, uh, the very first Calvin and comics I ever A uh, comic I ever read, which was from the first collection. I found it on a bookshelf, and I didn't even know what comics were. And I remember it took me a little bit to figure out that the words in the little balloons above the characters were things that each character was saying. Um, but oh, interesting. But once I figured that out, I was hooked.
1: Yeah, that's true. Actually, if no one tells you that, it's, you would have to sort of think, "Huh, hang on a minute, what's what's going on there?" Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good example. Yeah. I, mean, I
2: don't remember exactly. You know, it was, but it was. I remember. I remember reading those first words, and then it's about Calvin saying he's off to catch his tiger to check his tiger trap. Yeah, and figuring out, oh, it's this little kid. He's telling his dad this. You know. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was new to me.
1: Yeah, that's a good example of, of what you say in, in the introduction in your new book, How To, where you say every day, I think it's like something like, is it, I forget the number of people who every day are learning something completely new, you know, and, and yeah. yeah, we forget that yeah, sometimes.
2: Everything, yeah, I, I like to remember that everything, it's easy to think like, oh, everyone knows this, so it, you shouldn't need to explain that, But but everyone learns everything at some point, you know, so so i like to keep in mind that like just because i've learned something doesn't mean that you know it's, there's still lots of people around me who are you know maybe a little younger or just didn't have a reason to learn it yet um who are going to be hearing about it for the first time
1: yeah and i think life is very much more interesting if you're always open to learning even tiny things i mean i find myself thinking you know like i don't know doing something in the kitchen for somehow i think of a new way to do something i've done every day for the whole of my life and i'm like Wow, that's so cool. I just, you know, it's kind of improved on whatever this small task was. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I find I find it nice to be curious about things.
2: Oh, absolutely. And then sometimes I I think, "Oh, this is a new way to this is this might be a better way to do this." And then like, you know, 10 seconds later, I've Built boiling water everywhere or broken a glass and I <laughs> oh that's why people don't do it that way now I understand so it's yeah. a learning experience either way
1: that too that too yeah um you went to a high school that specialized in mathematics science and technology and and then went on to complete a physics degree and work for NASA as a roboticist at the same time I understand you loved comics growing up as we mentioned at what mm-hmm. point did you begin to think you could combine these two areas in your own life?
2: Um, it wasn't really until much later because I read when I first discovered, you know, Calvin Hobbes and comics. I remember thinking, like, oh, hey, this would be a great job if you could draw cartoons. You could just sit at home all day in your pajamas, draw cartoons, and then <laughs> yeah, they go all around the world, and people would, you know, read them and laugh at them. But then I, I realized, like well i don't know how to write jokes you know I, I and and I don't know how to draw, so that seems like two pretty big strikes against that career um, <laughs> right. but what I did a lot of in school was doodling in my notebooks, mm. so I would get homework or you know have a have a notebook where I was supposed to be taking notes, and I would just draw you know not not really drawing i didn't think of it as cartoons, you know, but I would be drawing diagrams and and sketching out graphs, and you know I'd be doing math but then then drawing a schematic for some cool, you know, some idea I had. And then at some point I was going through all these old notebooks and realized that some of the things I had drawn, if you put a panel border around them, they could be a comic,
3: hmm. you know,
2: it's, yeah. uh, just like, oh, this is a, this is a cute drawing and I want to save it so that, cause I'm going to, these notebooks are falling apart and I don't need to keep all my old school notebooks, but I want to save this drawing, you know, or that drawing. And so I tr- I started scanning the notebooks and, I took a few of the drawings to put online uh, because I had a website and I didn't know what else to put there. But I still didn't really think of it as comics until people started reading them and, you know, passing them around.
1: Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned in in my introduction, you've written the hugely popular books What If and and Thing Explainer and, and the new book How To absurd scientific advice for common real-world problems, but it it did all start with XKCD, this comic, and it's described as a webcomic of sarcasm, romance, math, and language. So based on what you've just said, did that sort of just evolve organically, or was it um, actually part of your concept as it moved forward to, to bring in all these different elements?
2: Um, I think it, I would say it evolved organically. I, I had the stuff that I liked, like the, it was. what was sort of nice was I didn't, I didn't have an idea of what I was supposed to be drawing mm. because I, I didn't think of it as comics at first. I just thought I'm going to take all my favorite doodles that I've done in my notebooks. Um, and so, so I think the title is something, you know, it's sort of me trying to summarize what subjects I was drawing uh, comics about.
1: Right. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you know, what gave you the belief to take a punt and, and put your comic out in the world? But it sounds like it wasn't quite like that. You, you, I mean, I guess you at least had the um, impetus to, to put it on your website, but were you surprised then at, at how popular it became?
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, put up some of these comics. I think originally I didn't even have a website that you could browse. There was just like a folder of images Hmm. and I was just sharing it. So, you know, I could send them to friends or something. Um, But it was, what was a big surprise to me was a lot of the comics that I thought were kind of about these niche topics, you Mm. know, or about math or, or some annoying computer problem I'd been having or whatever. I would do little drawings about that. And and those were sort of uh, way more popular than I expected Mm. And I didn't realize like, I, oh, hey, there are other people who are who think this one Linux command makes no sense or, <laughs> you know, this one software thing is yeah. is weird or other people who have been frustrated by by this particular thing in math class. And, you know, I, and, and it just it it hadn't occurred to me until I saw other people, you know, sending them to each other and and, and writing to mm-hmm. me and saying, oh, yeah, I've always been frustrated by that or I I hadn't noticed that. and I, I said, oh, OK. So there are other people like uh, like me out there. That's yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think one of the main functions of art is it can be creating empathy. But I think particularly mm-hmm. with humor, uh, which there is a lot of humor in in what you do. Part of creating humor, I think, is is finding things that we do all share that we didn't realize <laughs> that we struggle with, you know, and they're like, Oh, it's, it's very connecting. Um, isn't it to, to find that, that people share things with you and we can all kind of laugh about it together.
2: Yeah, I think, I think so. And it's nice to, um, yeah. And it, it can be, I think, validating to think, Oh, I wasn't, it wasn't just, it wasn't uh when I do, whenever I do comics where I admit, you know, that something is confusing or that I have a hard time with some kind of technical subject or scientific idea, mm. um, it always gets, you know, people are always, I get lots of, you know, notes or I see lots of people saying like, oh, okay, so I, I also never understood this, but I thought it was just me. Um, right. You know, I, I'm so, okay, other people also find this confusing. So now I feel free to ask. Uh, can someone help me understand this better
1: yeah yeah well I think especially um you know obviously you um are very well versed in in subjects that a lot of people find difficult you know so for you to also share that you know you find things difficult too I, I think that's um probably encouraging to people you know to to feel it's it's okay you know to admit that there's some things you don't know because obviously that's true of everybody in varying ways yeah yeah your books and and webcomic use line drawings and stick figure art to accompany or deliver your observations or explorations and this kind of art's earliest roots are in prehistoric times and I think there's a sort of powerful universality about it, and, and I know you've sort of said you you didn't start out being able to draw whatever, but I think that you know doing the, I think it's deceptively simple. The more you strip an image down, the more every line counts, and being able to convey meaning and emotion with so few strokes is is hard. Um, it takes a lot of skill. What are the some sub- of the appeal about using stick figures in your work? I mean, do you think about it in in this way about you know, it being simpler and more iconographic in a way.
3: Yeah,
2: I think it, I don't know, there, there are a lot of people who have written, you know, much more insightful things than I have to say about, about comics as a, you know, as a medium. Mm. Um, there, you know, it's, it's certainly, it's really true. You can strip away uh, details that aren't important Mm-hmm. And it lets you focus on the things that are important, sort of like how, you know, what floor sign. It doesn't have a detailed drawing of a person who's got a T-shirt on that says things on it, who's wearing headphones, holding a flyer for something. You know, you don't, you don't put in all these details. Yeah. It's just a simple silhouette of a person because all you need to know is that there's a person slipping. Yeah. And it lets you focus on that and not be distracted. And so, you know, and so stick figures and, and a lot of comics in general can take advantage of that. Um, you know, but some, some of them are, are really lushly illustrated and, you know, you just make use of, of different kinds of art to do different things. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, partly because of the, the constraints of like newspaper printing, there are a lot of comics that, that some of you know, some of the best comics are from the newspaper, you know, that the, the mid to late 20th century that I grew up reading, Um, things like peanuts would do uh, a whole lot with just a few lines and you know there there were these simple little figures but but that yeah that did just make every line count more Um, but in my case I think I you know I started out drawing stick figures as a little kid and then and then just uh, uh, stuck with it yeah (laughs) so sometimes you know I'll be like well how do I draw a stick figure who is you know, turning around but also about to step in the other direction, you know, that can be yeah. a challenge. But, yeah. but I'm, I'm just amazed by people who can draw, you know, uh, uh, much more realistic cartoons of someone doing that, which I think, you know, it is hard to make a stick figure do those things, but I feel like it's so much harder to draw the way uh, a lot of <laughs> other people do.
3: I think, well,
1: I think they're really different. I, I, yeah, I think, be you better. know, you could find somebody who can, you know, Draw really, um, you know, realistically or, or whatever, and they wouldn't be able to do a really stripped-down comic. Like one of my favorite um, authors and artists is Tove Jansson. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with the Moomin books I, at all. I am. Um, those
2: are so wonderful. Yeah, I just I'm adore them.
1: And I'm, I'm reading, I bought. A, there's a whole collection now of all the the comic strips that she and her brother did. And mm-hmm. anyway, I. I frequently look at them and just look and it's and so simple and yet there's this really complex emotion coming out of the, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, you know, I, I've seen that in your drawings too. Um, and it's even more interesting because your drawings don't have faces, most of them, do they? they <laughs> and so you haven't even got that kind of expression and yet there's still emotion and and you you know you know what's happening, so I do think it's a it's a a real skill i don't know if I would rank it you know it's um oh well thank you yeah <laughs> and um I think also you know your books obviously have a lot more written information a lot you know more scientific um information and and equations and things like that but I do think you know words and images combined affect us differently than either alone um particularly for a lot of people are more visual thinkers were you giving any thought to that when you started out perhaps particularly with the, with the books or, or you mentioned you know when you were young you had that book you liked that had images in it i mean did it just come naturally to you to present things in this way
2: i think so i think more more even than um than those books what what I always was attracted to is, were like maps and mm. charts of things. Mm. And in physics, very often you would be graphing, you, you know, you take, you'd have some complicated equation, but you could also graph it and look at, you know, the equation in a kind of different form. Mm. And I yeah. was always very big on graphs. I always liked seeing Um, Because I felt like when it was was equations, I had to kind of squint at them and and work out all the parts of it and figure out, okay, well, that means that if this goes up, this goes down. But, like, sometimes you could find another format for it, like a chart or a table, where you could just look at it and understand by looking at it what it was saying. And I always found that, you know, much easier. And so I would sometimes look for, like, look side of the challenge. It's like, okay, here's a confusing equation. Is there a way I can take the things this equation is telling me? and express it as a chart or as a diagram, you know, in a way that I can just look at it and understand it instead of having to puzzle through. Yeah. yeah. And so I really liked doing kind of, I guess what you might call, it, you know, the infographics or, mm, yeah. or charts of things. And, and I kind of like the challenge of trying to trying and, and like trying to take a whole bunch of information that I'm trying to understand and arrange it on a big sheet and, and make sense of it all. Yeah. And so I I really like making that kind of thing. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah.
2: And then so it's natural, you know, when I'm when I'm writing about something, sometimes I'm like, I could now spend a while describing this shape, you know, or I could just draw and show what it looks like, and then we can move on.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's really true. Well, you're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, Randall Munro, award-winning cartoonist, webcomic artist, former NASA roboticist, and best-selling writer. His latest book is How To, Absurd Scientific Advice for Common Real-World Problems. We're going to a break now, but we'll be back with more information after these messages.
0: Like the music from It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland. Have you ever wondered what the full songs sound like? Now you can find out by listening to the new EP It's a Question of Balance music available from iTunes, Amazon, and it's a Question of Balance.com. Flat, plane.
1: No white horses to play the game, and I wish I About you in the rain Did I
3: or didn't I say it's forever Well, I know I said it, babe, it just goes nowhere Well, we can do the things we want We can do the things we like But if we're taking all the time Well, I just don't think that it's right There's more to us
0: than just that. It's a question of balance music. Download individual tracks or the whole EP from iTunes, Amazon, or it's a question of balance.com.
4: Hi, I'm Casey, and I'm the second generation owner of Bookshop Santa Cruz. We pride ourselves on being Santa Cruz's community bookstore. We feature an extensive selection of new and used books, children's books and toys, gifts, cards, magazines, and games. Our knowledgeable booksellers can help you find just the right book or gift. We hope you can join us for our author events each week featuring best-selling authors and books of local interest. And if you can't get downtown, our website has over 3.2 million titles, which ship directly to your home. We even have experts on site to help you publish your own book or family history. Come visit us downtown or at our website, BookshopSantaCruz.com.
0: Bookshop Santa Cruz has been an independent bookseller for over half a century in the community we love. Visit Bookshop Santa Cruz downtown. We love our customers and the books that make it all possible. Bookshop Santa Cruz, online and in downtown Santa Cruz.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, Randall Munro, award-winning cartoonist, webcomic artist, former NASA roboticist, and best-selling writer. We heard from bookshop Santa Cruz in the break, and I wanted to remind you, if you're listening in the Monterey Bay area, that Randall is going to be in Santa Cruz on Wednesday, September 11th, for a special Bookshop Santa Cruz event. So if you're enjoying this interview with Randall, you have a great opportunity on September 11th to see him in person and get your book signed. He'll be in conversation with a previous guest of this show, as I mentioned earlier, the wonderful science fiction writer, Corey Doctorow. This is an off-site ticketed event held at Santa Cruz Bible Church on Frederick Street. I highly recommend getting tickets in advance as it's expected to sell out, and you can find event info and get tickets at bookshopsantacruz.com. And at the website, you can also arrange to purchase a book and get it signed by Randall if you can't make the event. So you can check out all of that at bookshopsantacruz.com to get all the details. So, Randall, um, the description of your new book, How To Absurd Scientific Advice for Common Real World Problems, states for any task you might want to do, there's a right way, a wrong way and a way so monumentally complex, excessive and inadvisable that no one would ever try it. How To is a guide to the third kind of approach. It's full of highly impractical advice for everything from landing a plane to digging a hole we're mostly looking for the simplest and most efficient way to do things in life. So what motivated you to explore the hardest way to do things, albeit in a very humorous and scientific way?
2: Well, I think I'm, I feel like I'm naturally inclined to always pick out the most complicated way of doing things, but usually because I've convinced myself that it'll somehow be simpler. (laughs) um, You know, I'll come up with some incredibly and say, no, but once I get this working, it'll save time in the long run. But then, like, everyone else who's doing the task will, will have finished it, doing it the, the other way, and I'll still be trying to get my complicated way working. But, right. Um, but I think, I think that exploring bad ways of doing things, for one thing, can just be a lot of fun. Um, you can learn a lot uh, from trying to do something, uh, something the wrong way or something complicated way. And sometimes it's it's hard to tell what's a bad idea until you uh, until you try it.
3: Mm. Like
2: like putting a, a mold on an infected cut sounds like a you know the worst idea imaginable. But it turned out to you know uh, to revolutionize medicine because uh, when we discovered antibiotics, right? So like if you just yeah. described it to someone who didn't know about them, they'd say, "Okay, well that sounds like a terrible idea."
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I um, interviewed thought leader and godmother of Silicon Valley, Esther Wojcicki recently. And one of the things she feels is very important for us to learn as kids is the value of failing as a hugely productive learning process. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I don't think it's that common to be taught this. And instead, there's often shame associated with not knowing or getting things wrong. And so with a how-to looking at inadvisable ideas, you've sort of mentioned how you know, something that you may not think was the the thing to do may work out. So I wondered whether you had any um, interest in also doing the book of, of kind of demonstrating that I think particularly in science, especially, it, it, there's a lot of failing, isn't it? I mean, in inverted commas, because we should probably think of a different word, but not finding the solution straight away.
2: Yeah, I think... I think it's really good. Um, I think one of the really fun things about science and about, about math is that you can, you can ask physics all kinds of questions. And physics, you know, doesn't, it doesn't, like, demand to know why you want to know that. You know, you can say, how many calories are there in a, a, a you know, a, a cubic mile of honey, and you can just sit down and calculate that number. Like, did you need to know it? Maybe, maybe not. But um, but I like that you can find out. Um, and so it's it's fun to, I think, have the freedom to explore some of these weird avenues without mm-hmm. worrying about whether it makes you look stupid or not. You know, without worrying about uh, whether it's the best way of doing things or not. And 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 sometimes. Yeah, the solutions, the, the ideas that that seemed silly end up teaching you something interesting or taking you in some interesting direction that you weren't expecting or just giving you an idea for a solution that's better.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the key things in life to achieving whatever it is you want to achieve is passion and if you can follow your passion with something, you know, even if it seems weird, you you can learn some really interesting things that way that you, you wouldn't learn with something dull, can't you too?
2: Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. The book starts with how to jump really high and ends with how to dispose of this book while passing through the most convoluted ways to cross a river, be on time, blow out candles and, and many more how did you decide which how-tos to include in the book?
2: Well, there are some, some things I started with a common household task that, you know, something that I've dealt with and I've been frustrated and thought, isn't there an easier way to do this? Like mm. moving. Right. You know, it, moving just takes packing up all your stuff, putting it in boxes, like every part of a move takes more time and more energy and more attention than you think it's going to.
3: Yeah. And
2: so I said, okay, well, I'm going to sit down and work out, you know, try to come up with some other ideas for how to save time. And then and then, even if they're obviously not really a good idea, like attaching jet engines to your house to make it hover and uh, fly to your new destination, <laughs> even if they're not, not good ideas, maybe I'll learn something interesting about jet engines. And then in other cases, I learned... Uh, I would come across some interesting research or learn something interesting that then I thought, okay, how could I apply this to everyday life? Um, like, uh, there's a there's a fantastic paper which I mentioned about uh, where some seismologists in uh, in Barcelona, I think, were discovered that their seismographic instruments could detect a Bruce Springsteen concert ha- happening at the city center nearby. <laughs> and they found that they could even tell which songs were playing based on the beat that people were dancing to through the vibrations coming through the ground. And I just thought that was one of the coolest studies. And so, you know, I, I, I put in a, a little illustration showing people, here's how to listen to music from very far away. You know?
1: <laughs> That's funny and i think you know humor also is i don't know i i think it when when you're dealing with serious stuff which like i said for a lot of people you know like math equations and things can like instantly make your mind just shut down um yeah. having the humor i think it, it keeps you sort of open you know is that part of why you use it or is it just you like to, to sort of look at things in a fun way
2: i think i like I think that to me the math on its own isn't really interesting to me mm-hmm. or, you know, like I, I don't, I feel like I'm just as frustrated as, you know, the next person by, by working through a page of equations or something. But mm-hmm. what the reason I, I, I do it is I really liked the answers that it gets me to. And the, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the fact that it lets me take these ridiculous scenarios and actually find out, here's what would happen if you did this. Yeah, you know? And that's, so to me, it's, it's, it's not that I put in the humor to try to make it more interesting, you know, to to sneak in this thing that I find interesting that other people don't. It's that like, I'm I feel like I'm interested in it for like the same reason I think other people should, you know. That, that it's not not that I enjoy numbers for their own sake, but it's there's all this cool stuff you can learn about, you know, using yeah. them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the chapters in how to is how to make friends. And it's rather poignant and, and actually seems pretty good advice. How, how did that come to be in the book?
2: Well, it's funny. I think I, I think I wrote that chapter uh, um, when I hadn't... I, I think I probably hadn't seen anyone for like two weeks because I'm working on, you know, writing a book. So you end up, you know, spending long days holed up in your room Um, And Mm. so I thought at some point I thought maybe I'm not the best person to write this chapter because (laughs) I haven't done a good job of seeing anyone recently. Um, But on the other hand, I did write a whole chapter on how to ski and I've still to this day, never put on a pair of skis. So, um, but I think the, for that chapter, I had a little bit of fun because I had gotten curious, how do people meet their friends? Mm. Um, And, and it's funny, there are some areas of, it's, it's interesting when you come across a question that seems like it really hasn't been studied very closely, mm. um, There are there is a huge amount of sociological research um, on the, the topic of how people meet their spouses, mm. because that's sort of a question that I guess people are more interested in from, you know, mm. I don't know, from all kinds of different angles, you know, from yeah. a, why aren't people getting married, oh, let's research it, you know, why... Do most people, you know, should we have more of this if we want more marriage? It's like, people make a big deal about marriage. But there's very little research into how people meet their friends. Mm. Um, Because I found this one, uh, this one paper by a uh, a sociologist who was, who, and and he mentioned in the paper, this is a strangely unstudied problem. Mm. Um, And he, uh, so he did a survey about uh you know how to make about how people have m- made friends and where they met their current friends, how old they were mm. and 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 wrote it up as this paper it was uh um, and, and it was really cool because it was it was something that i had i had never seen on.
4: um and
2: so I got to talk about that a little bit uh, and then I also put in I, while I was on the topic you know I, I also wanted to talk a little bit though about about. You know, here's how you can run into people. Uh, here's how to make friends with them. But uh, one thing that I've always kind of been frustrated by was uh, is is that there are a lot of very smart people who kind of t- who, who like look down on other people and treat it, you know, interaction as, as like a game and kind of treat people like things. Mm. And you'll see this in like here's how to trick someone into, you know, dating you or here's how mm. to here's how to make people think you're their friend and like mm. and I and, and so sort of one of the it's one of the very few kind of sincere uh uh points in the book where yeah. I sort of try to lay out why I think that's that's wrong, you know, why that's not a good way to think about things. Um but but no the the but at the same time I also got to talk about if you if you just left your house and started walking with a blindfold on, statistically speaking, what's the average amount of time you'd have to wait before you collide with someone in order to make friends with them? Um, and I think that's also a fun calculation to do.
3: Yeah. But,
1: yeah. Do you have a favorite how-to in the book or are they all equal as your children to you?
2: <laughs> oh, there's... I, I really like... Um, There are a couple of uh, all of the ones that involve time are fun. The one how to be on time is a fun uh, 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 one of my favorites. I think my favorite chapter, though, is how to make an emergency landing, which is an interview with uh, uh, Colonel Chris Hatfield, who's a uh, former test pilot and also commander of the International Space Station. Oh, wow. And one of the really fun things about this book was that I got to, you know, I did this a little bit with What If, and I've done it occasionally with comics, but I, with this one I got to reach out to people who know how to do things, um, you know, or who have access to some skills. So there was earlier, you know, there was the, the sociologist I mentioned who I actually wrote to, uh, Ruben Thomas, Dr. Ruben Thomas, um, mm-hmm. who sent, uh, you know, his research on, here's, you know, he has some of the only data on how people make friends and where they meet. Um, and then I got to talk to Colonel Hatfield about uh, how to land a plane, you know, how to do an emergency <laughs> landing. And it was uh, it was it was a really fun conversation. And I was originally planning that I would write a chapter, you know, I would like with my other chapters, I would, uh, uh, you know, I'd ask him questions and I figured, you know, I was going to ask him how do you land a plane in this scenario? How do you land a plane if your sleeve is caught in the cockpit door, but you can throw things at the controls? You know, how do you (laughs) land a plane if you get locked out of the plane? Or, you know, how would you land on a moving train? Hmm. And so my plan was to just kind of ask him questions until, and make them, you know, steadily more and more weird questions until he got frustrated and hung up on me. (laughs) Um, But to my surprise, uh, I, I sort of didn't expect, he just answered all of them Wow! wow. Um, with no hesitation. And his hmm. answer was, he just gave, here's the answer. You know, I'm, uh, uh, and he's, you know, the, the, the world authority on this. And he would just, if I had that scenario, here's what I would do. And so it was, and his answers were so punchy and so much fun that I realized there was like very little I could add to them. So I just illustrated them and I, I have it reproduced as an interview.
1: Right. Oh, cool yeah that and sounds really interesting
2: the, oh yeah yeah it was and it was so much fun the conversation was so much fun because you know like he he he's he's an astronaut and he has that very you know uh very flat way of speaking, you know very business like yes, and so it took it took me a little bit to realize he was really enjoying answering these questions, <laughs> but it sounded like you're just talking to air traffic control, you know right they well how would you you know how do you uh, uh the first question I asked him was How would you land if you had to land on a farmer's field, um, how would you pick which crop to aim for if there was no open space? <laughs> you know, do you want something yeah. high up that will cushion the plane or something low down to the ground that it gets more like a runway?
3: Uh-huh. And
2: he just immediately launched into an answer about how, oh, yeah, when you fly small planes, that's something you think about all the time. Now, here's the crops you can land on in these situations. You need to avoid muddy fields. You can land on corn up until about the middle of June. <laughs> blah, blah. And I'm just like, well, I did not expect him to just answer all these questions.
1: Right. And he's answering them in this deadpan way. So you, you're thinking, is he like totally fed up with me, or is he enjoying this? Yeah,
2: but no. He, he, I, I kept on, you know, expecting him to say, "Okay, well now I have to go," and you know, I would give him a moment to, "Okay, you know, I, I really appreciate your time. I don't want to keep you." And he was, all, "Oh no, these are fine. I'm, I'm I'm here as long as you need." Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> it was it was a delight. He, he was, he, so I think that's my favorite chapter in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I to weigh in on so
1: many fun topics. Uh huh. Oh, well, that sounds really cool. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, Randall Munro, award winning cartoonist, webcomic artist, former NASA roboticist, and best selling writer. We've just been most recently talking about his latest book, How to Absurd Scientific Advice for Common Real World Problems. We'll be back with more conversation after these messages.
4: imagine living without stress, anxiety, or fear? And can you imagine a life filled with harmony and inner peace? Is that even possible? The Ananda Yoga and Meditation Center in Scotts Valley offers simple tools to help you become more effective at work and more centered in the face of life's challenges. At Ananda, we offer yoga classes for everybody, inspiring workshops, devotional chanting, and Sunday services based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Our teachers and therapists are highly trained professionals who work together to inspire a healthier you. And your first Ananda Yoga class is always free. Visit us at anandascottsvalley.org or call 338-YOGA. That's anandascottsvalley.org or 338-YOGA.
0: Ciao, I'm Luca from Tramonti at 528 Seabright Avenue, steps from the ocean. We are the authentic Italian pizza and pasta restaurant, serving also organic salad and house-made dessert in a friendly family-style atmosphere, indoor or on our lovely patio. Tramonti is open every day, Monday through Friday, from 4 p.m. to 10 pm, happy hour from front to 6. Saturdays and Sunday, we open at 11, and we also serve brunch. We bake our bread and prep our fresh pasta and pizza daily. We want to say grazie to the Santa Cruz community for supporting us since 2012. Allora, buon appetito. Visit Tremonti at 528 Seabright Avenue in Santa Cruz. That's Tremonti at 528 Seabright Avenue in Santa Cruz. And follow Tremonti Santa Cruz... On Instagram.
3: It's wonderful, that's wonderful.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to It's Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland, and my special guest, Randall Monroe. And I wanted to... Remind you, if you are in the Santa Cruz area, that Randall is going to be in Santa Cruz on Wednesday, September 11th for a special Bookshop Santa Cruz event. So it's a great opportunity to see him in person and get your book signed. His new book is How To Absurd Scientific Advice for Common Real World Problems. He's in conversation with the wonderful Corey Doctorow and it is an off-site ticketed event so if you go to bookshopSantaCruz.com, you can find out information there about where it is and how to get tickets and also should you not be able to make the event there's an opportunity to arrange to purchase a book and get it signed by Randall in your absence and pick it up later so you can check all of that out at bookshopSantaCruz.com. I was uh, reading an article, um, not quite an older article in Wired by um, Adrienne So uh, Randall. And um, she says, XKCD revels in the human side of geekdom. XKCD isn't an acronym, but in some ways the comic is itself a language, a way for people who are unpracticed at talking about their emotions to articulate them. I'm curious if that was part of your intent creating xkcd or or whether that just came about as part of your creation
2: um i think that it just uh i think that it just came about i would say um it's funny how early in the days of the internet um people there was sort of this slow process of figuring out that you could send people things kind of like a card you know, mm. to say, here, this expresses how I feel. You know, mm. we've, we've, I feel like we've gone through a lot of different uh, iterations, mm. different versions of that as, you know, over the, the couple of decades we've been using the Internet. You know, everything from from like e-cards or whatever to sending links to comics, to sending mm. around articles from The Onion, to sending, you know, animated GIFs. And mm. uh, and and so I, I, I was sort of surprised, you know, I, I didn't have that in mind when I was drawing my comics you know Mm. I didn't I didn't think of it didn't think of it that way but I think that the very best feedback that I ever get is I've occasionally had people send me uh, a note saying that they uh, that they met their future spouse by Mm. sending comics back and forth and they'll send me wedding pictures and that's the the sweetest uh, you know I can't imagine anything better than that
1: no no oh that's lovely XKCD, which, if listeners are interested, you can go and look at it at xkcd.com, um, is described on the website as a webcomic of sarcasm, romance, math, and language. And it's a fairly unique combination of subject areas, one example of which is the comic strip entitled, uh, or the cartoon um, entitled Angular Momentum. Uh, A male stick figure is reclining on the bed while a female stick figure is whirling around at speed, her hair flying out as she spins. And the male figure asks, what are you doing? And the female figure responds, spinning counterclockwise, each turn robs the planet of angular momentum, slowing its spin the tiniest bit, lengthening the night, pushing back the dawn, giving me a little more time here with you. I'm wondering about the process of, of creating comics whether you think in a way that combines all these aspects of sort of romance poetry science or whether you first have an overarching focus and then the other elements come in as you create is there a certain way you create them like drawing first idea first or whatever or is it all just an amalgam that just comes through as you do it oh I don't
2: I don't really know um I would say I mean I think I'll have an idea and then try to figure out how to shave it down into, uh, a simple punchy, uh, you know, something that I can present as a comic that makes sense to people, you know, even if they weren't there or didn't, you know, have all the context I had. Um, but sometimes it's as simple as, you know, I'll be sitting in one of those desk chairs and, and uh, like many people just start spinning around and, uh, and see how long you spin until you stop. And there's <laughs> a lot of interesting physics there. And and, yeah. and it's interesting to think about you're spinning and the world is spinning. And technically, in order to start spinning, you have to push off the world a little bit. So it, when you change how you're spinning, the world changes how it's spinning. Yeah, um, It's not enough to measure, but it's enough to think about.
1: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned before about how you've enjoyed getting letters from people who, who've met their partner through the comic, and you seem to have a genuinely kind, understanding, and encouraging approach to romance issues. What motivated you to include this aspect in in the comic?
2: Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think I I started off doing comics just about about whatever, you know. I wasn't I wasn't intending to start drawing a comic. I was just taking all the stuff I was doodling. Yeah. So it's sort of just a slice of all the things that are yeah. that are on my mind or all the things that I, I'm trying to express at any given time.
1: Yeah, yeah. In an interview I read that you did, I think it was about 13 years ago, you you said that the good thing about being an internet celebrity is that no one knows you. You can go outside and, and be normal. I'm wondering if that's still the case, best-selling <laughs> books and a, and a Hugo Award later, and, and whether there's been any challenge to not start believing the hype about yourself and staying grounded two different two
2: part oh, question I, <laughs> um i i don't know i think i think that it's still even things that like everyone watches this or you know everyone does this still still you know there are so many different things out there that you know and like i i, I still you can I still be that, anonymous that, like, every, every, you know, everything is kind of a niche interest almost. Everything These days, that yeah. All, yeah. That we all consume. all, You know, but then, like, everyone thinks that, oh, yeah, all of my friends read this, so everyone must read this. And I always try to keep a little bit of perspective, like, you know, even though I have a lot of people who might read my comic, I don't it, – it seems presumptuous to think, like, oh, yeah, well, everyone reads this. And I don't know. I try not – I feel like it's really easy to um, let – to to you know to let positive feedback kind of make you think, oh yeah, well I have the answers for everything and mm-hmm. and and then and then kind of uh go online and, and the internet then lets you just broadcast everything to to everyone. Oh, well here's this thing that happened. Well I know what to think of it and I'm gonna, you know, lay out my opinions here and then and that just seems to go wrong routinely. Uh, yeah. So I try to. I try to. I, I don't know. I try. I try not to. I really try not to think about that too much. About the. About you know, how many people are reading my website right now? How many people? Because it just seems like it. it it's only going to mess with you.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I think it does, but I think it can be a trap to fall into to start. Kind mm-hmm. of, I think it was Meg Ryan years ago. She said she you know once you have a certain level of of public you know being aware of you you can start living from the outside in instead of the inside out and I, mm-hmm. I think that is the challenge and I think you do have to have some conscious awareness of like you're saying you do of of um making sure you you keep a, an eye on that you know because it's pretty yeah quite easy to do I think
2: well one of the nice I mean one of the nice things about writing and about the internet is that it It all, you know, it seems like, like uh, uh, there's a little bit of distance. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. I'll draw a comic, and I know people are reading it out there, but I, you know, it's it. I can't. I don't see it. I have to look at you know the web server activity, or look at you know people who are posting things, but I have to sort of seek it out a little bit more.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
2: think that's that help. That's yeah. I think that that makes it a little. That's a little bit uh can be healthier
1: yeah yeah it happened a while ago now but when I was doing some research on you I, I was enchanted to read about a comic strip you created where a character's dream girl gives a time date and coordinates in the future where she'll appear and in the comic you state that wanting something doesn't make it real and and nothing <laughs> happens but the coordinates actually pointed to a real future date time and place in, in Massachusetts and and nearly a thousand fans turned up there from as far away as Canada and the UK. And then you actually appeared yourself and announced maybe wanting something does make it real. And this kind of thing emphasizes, I think, the kind of simple joys and fun to be had in life, you know, through adventuring and connection. I'm wondering though, when you wrote this strip, did you always intend to be at that place at the given time?
2: Um, no, I think when I wrote the strip, I didn't, I didn't. Uh, I, I lived in Virginia where I had grown up. Um, but I but I, I, I knew the park. Um, and I I think that I was just, it kind of occurred to me that uh, it would be interesting to see what would happen if you put coordinates of a real place in time.
3: Right. You know, it's,
2: you're not organizing an event, you're not doing anything, but, but if you just yeah. um, put this out there, what would happen? And I mean, I didn't know what people would do. So you'd be
1: pretty surprised with that many I didn't people.
2: didn't expect that many people to show up. <laughs> But also, part of me was thinking, like, well, wait—if if it was this easy, you know, if you could just put these coordinates down here and and people would show up, I mean, someone else would have done. Like Garfield should have would have done this by now, right? Right. So part of me thought, yeah. oh, there's some reason not to do this, and I guess I'll find out.
1: Yeah, so um, it was an experiment. But, yeah. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but no, it was it was amazing. It was just, it was just the nicest uh, uh, group of people, and everyone. And had it spilled over into some nearby parks and just everyone had a, a really great time
1: yeah that uh, sounds really fun well we've run out of time so um thank you so much randall for for coming on and uh, we're really looking forward to you coming to this area if you're if you're listening in the santa cruz area oh. randall's going to be here fairly soon but you can also check out online because he's going to a lot of other places as well if you're listening from other places <laughs>
2: But, well, thank you so much. This was, it was a lot of fun talking to you.
1: Uh, yes, well, well, you too. And um, I hope the the rest of your tour before you come here goes well and uh, yes. wish you all the best for that. Oh, thank you. You're listening to It's a Question of Balance with me, Ruth Copland. That was Randall Munro, award-winning cartoonist, webcomic artist, former NASA roboticist and best-selling and award-winning writer. Thanks again to him for taking the time. Very enjoyable conversation. And thanks to you for listening. I look forward to being with you again next time.